Welcome to the Chuan Chuan Podcast, a bilingual podcast where every episode we use English and Chinese to explore various social, cultural, and contemporary issues in the aim of giving our listeners a useful tool to improve either or both their English or Chinese language ability. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Island series of podcasts.、Uh, I'm Leon. I'm Jeff. Cool. Welcome back. And we're going to just pick up straight from where we left off last time. So we came to the conclusion that, and this worries me because once again, it sort of represents us moving back towards what we already have anyway. But we did end up deciding that we're going to need some level of taxation, and the reason for that was we want to hopefully strike a reasonable balance between. Equality of opportunity and、uh, freedom, and general freedom, which often produces unequal outcomes.、Um, so the way we spoke about that was when everyone arrives on the island for the first generation, everyone is pretty much equal. But over the years, they will acquire different amounts of wealth and、um, skill levels, etc. And then their children will not start on a level playing field. So Freedom produces inequality that gets passed on through the generations. And should we do something about that? And what? And what should we do about that? So at the moment, we're at the point where we're saying a proportional tax is seems to be a good middle ground. So if that amount was ten percent, everybody pays ten percent, and that that still means the rich will pay more, of course, but at least everyone's paying the same proportion. Yeah, I think that sounds fair. I mean,、uh, on the other side of it, we need to, we obviously need some kind of tax to deal with、um, externalities and things that people won't pay for by themselves, like churches, defence, and some basic infrastructure and hospitals, that kind of thing that that need kind of buy-in from everyone. So generally, the rich will end up paying for that kind of things because they'll be getting taxed more due to a proportional tax, but it won't be a progressive tax system. Which is in the U.S. and the U.K. will probably be more similar to. I'm not sure what tax they have in Hong Kong and Singapore, but I know they're taxed a lot less, and I assume it's. It might be progressive, but it's definitely on the low end, so it probably is closer to a proportional tax. You know, as I get older, that word "progressive" I increasingly distrust because a lot <laughs> of things are done in the name of progression, <laughs> um, such as I don't know welfare, yeah, taxing the rich way more. Um, LGBTQ plus gender pronouns, all this sort of thing is grouped under the word progressive.、Um, I don't know, just a little side point. So, yeah, it's.、Um, I mean, the side point makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's kind of like everything that could be seen as a bad thing. Like, if you could change the word progressive to unfair tax. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Like, it's not a fair tax. Like, people that are. Uh, we'll get a disproportional tax based on what they what they own and what their income is, right? And but it's,、yeah. it's like it's a very smart thing. It's like a double entendre, right? It's like progressive makes sense because it's progressively more the more you earn, so it's not proportional. But it's also progressive as in ah,、oh, we're progressing. Like the world is getting better, right? That's kind of like it's a very they've got very good names for these things, right? Like diversity, progressive. 
Like it all sounds great. Yeah. So you could also say diversity. You could use like messy, right? Because if you've got like a room and you've just got lots of different stuff in there, like you can say it's a diverse room or you can say it's messy. It's, it's like, it's, you're describing <laughs> I, I, I might not go as far thing. to say it's messy. I might not say it's messy. That might not be the right word. I don't know. If but I, it's kind if of, I mix I mean, loads of different paints into a bucket, it looks messy to me. But I could say it's also a diverse array of colors. <laughs> okay. Um, but you know, specifically diversity and like, race I don't like mixing. Just to be clear, it's just like the language is language is very powerful. It's something I haven't appreciated um, up until recently. Sorry, I think we, I lost you there. Um, shall we re? Do we need to resync? I don't think we need to. I don't think we need to. No, we just need to make sure okay. you goes through um, and yeah. cuts out these bits, or one of us does it. <laughs> or we can just clap again, right? Shall we? So the basic idea of diversity is around um, making sure that people are proportionally represented. That's kind of what it means, right? So regardless of merit, um, well, I wouldn't say it's regardless of merit, but basically taking into account the fact that we want a proportional number of people from different races in a specific or, or genders in a specific job or or industry. So what you're doing is you're taking race into account. Right. So it's called diversity, which sounds like a nice name. But basically what you're doing is you're racially discriminating against people. Yes. Uh, well, yes inevitably so so picking nice names for things that actually have negative consequences yeah and i think this is exactly what's happening with black lives matter as well because you only need to scratch below the surface to see that a lot of unhelpful ideas are going under the banner of black lives matter which no one can disagree with the statement so but i guess it's just a bit surprising how easily people are taken in by names Mm. it's probably something we will need to think about for our island i mean well it's just it's basically marketing right (laughs) the left has good marketing yeah like what are the right called uh conservative that doesn't sound very good like what else all the names are there for the right that are not negative yeah um i think this is the thing so republicans republicans but Republican, yeah, but does conservative only have a negative connotation because it's always, because the mainstream media always uses it in that way. So, um, I heard an interesting point on the Dark Horse podcast, which was that we should all be aiming to be conservatives in the sense that we should all be aiming to build a society that we want to conserve. And if, if you heard the word conservative framed in that way, like, for example, um, actually, there are positive connotations. So when people talk about conservation, they're talking about saving nature, right? So yep. you can see how... So I think the the word is not inherently negative. It's just well, used I mean, in a conserv- negative way. People that, people that are supporting conservation, though, are not called conservatives. They're called conservationists, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's not. there's no direct link. I mean, obviously, it sounds very similar. But like, I don't think people realize that, that it comes from like a similar word. It's they just add on conservationist at the so end. May- and but not maybe, okay, maybe we should open a branding agency now because I think this is actually quite clever. If I start calling myself a conservationist, people are going to immediately think I'm like some great guy, right? I want to conserve things, and it just so happens that the things I want to conserve are not necessarily pandas. They're um, things that are arguably more important, like. 
the good things about Western culture, the things that keep society ticking over, such as not judging people based on their race. Mm. I mean, maybe we should bring it back on topic a little bit and move on to what we were talking about at the end of last episode, which is basically around the idea of, I guess, generational wealth and how wealth is not a zero sum game and um, everyone being richer. Like, even if, even if you end up poorer on the relative scale next to someone, generally people are getting wealthier and standard of living is going up. And people that are poorer, maybe say in the US and UK, are, are, are way above the poverty line in, in other countries. Right. So the first question that comes to mind for me is, does that happen because of the progressive tax rate? Because it's easy to see how taxing the rich loads it obviously brings everyone up. So the question is, does that happen even without that? So if we had no taxes, would that still happen? No, I think so. Yeah, I think I think it's in spite of progressive tax that generally um, us as a society and improving our technology and um, kind of encouraging innovation brings wealth to everyone. It's not a zero-sum game and we all kind of get a greater greater standard of living from that. Now, if you progressively tax the rich in a way that makes them want to leave the country, um, there's less money in your like the money's leaving your country in a sense to to go to other places to have lower tax and then that money's not there to invest in new tech and you know new industries and you know things that keep things ticking over in in the kind of science and technology world you know for research and development. Yeah, but we've I already that, so but we've already decided that we want tax. Yeah. So we like I mean it sounds like you're you're arguing for. No tax, because I asked specifically, um, would this, would this rising, would the rising sea raise all boats kind of idea, would that happen without taxes? And you're saying yes, but then if if that's true, then we don't actually, we may not need this, uh, this tax rate, this proportional tax rate. Yeah, so I guess if we've already decided on proportional tax rate, or at least progressional proportional tax rate, or no tax, then. You'd have we'd have to kind of figure out how are we going to fund things like um, you know roads and um, hospitals and defense. Like, is is that done on a kind of as you use the roads, we have some kind of technology that picks up that you're using the roads so as a road tax on that, or is it done in a different way? So roads do not imply um, taxation because private companies can build roads and you could have a chip in your car that just automatically charges you. So you wouldn't even notice any different, but at least that way you, you know, you'd get, you'd get all the benefits of a free market. So roads would only, would only be built where they need to be built and people would only, only the people who use them would pay for them, et cetera, et cetera. So at least on the surface, it seems like it could work really well. And we're not going to need, uh, I guess it depends on the size of our island, but we're not going to need huge infrastructure projects, I think. So we might, we will need a few roads. We might, we definitely won't need um, internal flights. We'll just need one airport for coming in and out. Uh, we might not even that we could do, it, need, even need that. We could do it with boats. And maybe we'll need uh, a few sort of intercity trains. Um, but the scale of it seems that we might actually have a good shot of achieving all those things privately. And what about things like defense? So 
the argument that's generally made for defense is that one is not good to have to mix profit making with killing and murder um, because when people's livelihoods depends on them doing that thing they'll normally find reasons to do that thing um the other thing is um it could work so it could work if there were a bunch of private security companies and you sort of just signed up to the one you think can protect you best and then it would be in all of those companies interests to repel outside invaders so maybe they would naturally team up if there was an external threat but other than that they would just be focused on protecting the citizens and actually it would it would hopefully cost them money if violence ever did break out so hopefully they'd be incentivized not to go on wars of conquest okay wait, wait a second so this is um i think we're we're maybe mixing two things up, right? You just said protecting the citizens and then obviously repelling outside invaders, right? Yeah. So currently in most systems we have police for kind of internal struggles and criminals and stuff like that. And we have the military to repel outside invaders or go on the offensive outside our country, right? Yeah. And those are kept separate in other countries. Um, are you suggesting to bring them together? Possibly. Although that, that doesn't seem like a good idea. So every, every nation on the world has decided not to mix, try to not to mix their police force and the army. And it tends to not go well when those things do mix simply because the army just has too much firepower. So, all right, that's a good point. Let's focus on defense. So if we're okay. talking about defending the nation as a whole, the thing that drew me away from that, by the way, was trying to think about how it could be done, um, in a private way because the central problem is that the task of the army is to control the whole nation. So if we're trying to be individualistic about it, the people who don't pay still receive the benefit um, of being protected from the people who do pay. And that's inherently unfair. And yeah, so that's what, so, so the question is then for things like that, where the benefits you can, receive the benefits for things that you're not paying for is that justification for forcing everybody to to pay for that thing yeah this is um something that Sol talks about in his book right so you were saying thomas Sol talks about this yeah it basically talks about the fact that there are things that like you said that people benefit from, benefit from um even though they're not paying for it so it's i guess it's um what is it called? It's the... Tragedy of the Doesn't... Commons? Yeah, Tragedy maybe. of the Commons, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. in this situation, defense, um, if it's an option to pay, it's an option to pay, say, $100 every year to do this, um, but you'll benefit if you don't pay, then everyone has the advantage to not pay. So, it ends up being that no one pays for anything, in a sense. So, this is kind of what we need to deal with here, right? It's like... If you're talking about privatizing um, the military and we we could pay for groups that we thought were good, like you might pay for it because you felt like, oh, we need it. But the guy next door might not think we need it because we're not getting attacked right now. But he would benefit from you paying and eventually it would encourage everyone to not pay at all. Okay, but I want to think about this a bit more because what maybe the average person doesn't get affected that much by a military invasion. So 
I mean, okay, this is, might be a bit of a weird idea. So if your country gets taken over by another country, um, the people who have most to lose are the people at the top because they have the most power. Um, but for some, for the average person, maybe, maybe not much will change for them. So maybe there's an argument there that if you, if you just left it like that, so let's just say, whoever wants to contribute to the military can contribute. Whoever doesn't want to, doesn't have to. And so, for example, if we take America, well, I would say the big oil companies, the big tech companies have the most to lose if an outside force came in and took over and, say, wanted to implement communism and take all their companies away from them. So they would sort of be forced to pay. But the person who's... um fulfilling orders in the Amazon factory, they probably don't really care. Their their life isn't going to change that much if if the country gets taken over. They're just going to do some other um sort of similar menial labor job. Um and that that will go for that will still apply to people above um doing menial labor, but to lesser degrees, I would say. So maybe you could still fund a private military force on that basis. What do you think? How would you fund it exactly? What is your plan for funding it? So I would say if you if you left the funding to whoever wants to pay for it, then the people who stood to lose the most from a takeover would pay for it. So if we take America as an example and the military was completely like a charity, essentially, the people who are going to be donating to that charity are the rich and powerful because they would want to hold on to their wealth and power which would most likely be stripped from them if there was a hostile takeover of the country. So it it might not be that unfair because I I personally probably don't have that much to lose from a takeover of another country, depending on what country it is, because um, I'm still going to be doing my same old job that I was always doing, but now um, some other people are in charge. Uh, at least I think that that would have been the way it's been for most of history. So it's when we had kings and queens, it probably didn't matter to to the average person that much if another king or queen was in charge. Like I think the argument makes less, a little bit less sense these days because you have uh, competing ideologies, and I would much rather live in a capitalist society than a communist society, for example. But even so, if we just left it to whoever wants to pay can pay for the military, I'm pretty sure it would still get funded, just because. The top companies, the top people in power would not want the country to be taken over. Okay. I mean, uh, I don't have a strong position of this, so I'm just going to play devil's advocate so we can just get a bit of discussion. So um, if it was just left to whoever wants to, to pay for it, pays for it, I'm just trying to think, like, would that even, would that be enough money or would would that end up being that there's this game theory problem where, yeah, yes, if all the rich people invested, sure, I think there'd be enough money for the military. But if a few people don't pay and um, you feel like everyone just feels there's going to be enough money because the rich and powerful will donate to this kind of fund, in the end, will no one donate or will everyone donate? Like, I don't know what the end, the end result of this game theory problem, but I feel like that is what the tragedy of commons talks about, right? And it kind of makes sense. It's almost like you kind of have to start with forcing all the rich and powerful to pay 
not starting from zero and whoever wants to, you know, not pay, cannot pay. Like, like I feel like if we start from zero and be like, whoever wants to pay can pay. Most people realize that we're in a peaceful society right now. So actually there isn't a high incentive for us to pay for this. It's more of a paying for the um, deterrence of having defense as opposed to, you know, we're actually fighting our threats right now. Okay, so the difficult part is that you have to pay for something that it is not immediately obvious why you need it until you need it. Exactly. Um, I think the the thing we might need to think about is it's difficult to know how how much of a military you really need, right? So you asked that question, and I thought that was interesting because I don't think anyone knows that answer. But the way you normally solve a pricing issue is through the market. And the fact that the government now is deciding how much to spend on the military doesn't... I mean, it would be a miracle if that was the one case in which they managed to get that figure right where they can't get it right in any other circumstance. So, so it's probably wrong. The like is probably wrong, yeah. The world in general is probably spending way too much yeah, and I think that's, 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 that's the reason why, like, we end up using these militaries to almost, um, invade other countries without actually invading them, right? You know, putting it in their countries, building air bases and probably charging them for the, for the service of having, you know, protection under the, you know, the United States of America. Yeah. I can see that being a way to kind of fund your military that you've kind of over, over, uh, budgeted for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, no government agency wants to reduce their budget, right? So they'll always find a way to spend the money that's allocated to them. I mean, this is very similar to like, like if you think of, like, let's try and take this idea and, and think if we can think of any parallels. I feel like this is very similar to like mafia style behavior, right? Like the mafia creates, um, a group of thugs and they're, you know, strong and powerful. And they take protection money from, you know, the shops. Now, obviously, part of that yeah. is just exploiting people because they will obviously be the ones breaking their windows if they don't pay the protection money. But if there are multiple mafias, for sure, like this is like this is our turf and this is people paying protection money to us is they're paying a tax of tax. So we're going to defend off outside threats as well. Right. So, I mean, obviously, there's yeah. a part of it that sets it's um, you're being the bad the, the bad guy by taking money and almost threatening them but in some sense it, it's it is basically defense like well, even in these I mean, small microcosms they still kind of take a tax in a way yeah so i mean we can't have it both ways so we are like we are basically going to have an island wide mafia because if people people don't have the choice of not paying this thing so and government power is always backed wait, up wait, by um, fine. you, you you cut out for uh, 10 seconds for me. Okay, am I back? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I have a chance to reword it now. I think think we we can't... Um, we're, calling it a mafia is a good way to think about it because it's going to remind us that we, if we decide to force people to pay for the military, we are like doing a bad thing, basically, because we are saying, if you don't pay this money, we're going to, under the threat of violence put you in jail or do whatever we our legal system does with people who don't agree to pay. And that is a line that once we cross it, 
I mean, we've, we kind of already decided to cross it with the progressive tax, but we are giving up something quite big. And I think it's interesting. I think one thing that's interesting about life is that you, you can sort of make certain sacrifices or certain, do certain things that are bad and not realize how that plays out in your life and actually ends up causing bigger problems down the road. And then you forget. And by the time you got all these big problems, you forget that it was that original transgression that led to those things. I'm just mm. wondering if that's going to apply here. So if we start to force people to pay for anything, is that going to cause, is that going to cause the reemergence of all the same problems that we have in society today? I mean, let's go back to that micro example, right? So the mafia runs a city. They take protection money for everyone in their neighborhood, right? But let's say that mafia doesn't exist, right? What happens now is that mafias from other cities will come in and expand their territory. And, you know, like we're in a country right now, but forget the country. Say the, the law enforcement are not doing a good job right now. What happens here is that essentially like this is like a little country, like they're, they're being taken over by another country and that country becomes bigger and the mafia becomes bigger. It's almost like a natural, a natural law in a way that like if you don't have things to defend it, it will eventually be taken over by, by, you know, another external force. Like you need yes. that kind of, um, deterrence, basically. Like, I mean, it still happens it. in modern day society right now, right? Like Russia just took over you, part of Ukraine, right? Part of your Crimea. It's like kind of a similar thing, right? You just kind of move in because you've got so much more power. So you need to kind of balance that power in some way. I mean, that brings up an interesting point because maybe all we need is one nuclear weapon or like 10 nuclear weapons or something like that. Mm, maybe, <laughs> but I think people might call your bluff and be like, well, you're not going to shoot it. So I'm just going to, you know, come in here. And that is always the danger. Yeah. I mean, so, but wait, so the thing we're missing here is that perhaps in our society. So I would like to think that if the population was smart enough, we could all come together and negotiate an agreement. Um, and just decide as free citizens how much money we want to put into the military or appoint someone to like do a review for us or whatever. And then they'll tell us how much we need to put in and then everyone donates freely. And if we say it's going to be done like that, then we're risking that it doesn't get done at all. But when I think about myself, I feel like I can understand the need for a military and I would be willing to put some money towards it. I guess the difficulty will be like, how much should everyone put in? And does a sort of mass negotiation like that really work? I mean, we can't get everyone I mean, even to, about to vote, things like right? Kickstarter. Like... Yeah, so that's one thing. So maybe if we had an efficient way of voting, people would feel more engaged with the military. I mean, I would be much happier to pay for the military if I knew that they weren't going to get sent off to the Middle East for things that I don't care about. Um, if people felt like they had direct involvement in it, I mean, maybe we, maybe there could be a crypto solution. I mean, the amount you put into the military determines how much control you have over the military. But as I'm saying that, that's, that doesn't sound like a good idea, uh, because you'd end up with Jeff Bezos just doing what he wants with the military, more <laughs> or less. Yeah, this is a really tough question. Like every angle we come at from a angle we come, um, 
can't speak right now. Come at it from, from every, yeah. yeah, come at it from from every angle we come at it from. It just seems to come down to we do need a military, but it's very difficult to um, privatize the funding of it. I'm not sure if there is a right answer. Like I keep coming back to it in my head whilst we're having the discussion. Is there a way to kind of um, almost reward the people that that fund the military? But there is no profit in the military unless you take over other countries and this is not really what we want to be doing um so if no, you just so have military a military could be purely... profitable right because it's just it can be profitable from just taking money from the people it's protected and that's that's totally fine they could make money without ever having to actually do anything protected. right well, which is fine but but taking money from the people is basically basically taxing them right yeah so yes but <laughs> So, well, one other thought I had was that in terms of defense, if we were getting invaded and you had not contributed towards the military, then they'd be, be under no obligation to do anything to protect your property. <laughs> but that's the point, right? Is that like, as a private citizen, and I know that I'm not contributing to this thing, um, but I know people are, the main part of the military is not really to defend when we get invaded, but to deter outside invaders right yes, like 90 my... of it is them defending us by just being there you know just being the bodyguard like deter it's such a difficult question i i'm sort of leaning towards though if we are sort of okay so there's two things one if we have an island where people are dumb enough to not realize that we need a military and so no one ends up paying for it then perhaps the island deserves to fail. But uh, <laughs> I'm worried that that wouldn't be what the actual problem is. It would be more like everyone realizes we need a military. It's just that trying to agree on who should pay how much, et cetera, et cetera, might not be solvable. And so it doesn't get and it doesn't end up getting funded for that reason. So I'd want to avoid the second one and I'd want to let the island die if it was the, if it was the first reason was why the military doesn't get funded. I think we're going to very short island because <laughs> I just feel like it's human nature, right? Like we can be smart enough to know that we need a military, but actually if we were playing the tragedy of the commons game, we would also fall into that trap, right? You know, if we were the only ones paying for the military, well, then there's no point in us paying for it because we're not going to have a military. And if it's on the other side and like everyone else is paying for the military and if we add to it, it's not going to do anything different. We're just, we're just losing our money. Then in the same situation, it's, it's uh, rational actors will not, will not do that. And we're rational actors too, right? Knowing that we need yes. a military is not the same thing as participating in this game theory, um, situation, right? Um, yes, you're right. You're right. That is right. And I'm also thinking, because with technology, we can know exactly who has contributed and who hasn't. But the thing about military strategy is that once someone lands on your land anywhere, they can set up bases and things. So that's not actually practical. So you'd want to, you'd want to keep the integrity of your borders as much as possible. So, mm. all right. So it is a tricky situation. It seems like we are going to have to force people to pay for it. And that's going to come out of a proportional tax system. Right. I mean, that's, that's it, right? We were talking whether we need any tax at all. It was either proportional tax or no tax. And I think this is the only one that I can think of right now that we couldn't use some kind of technological advancement to, to fund because there are way too many externalities and 
invasions are few and far between. And actually, if the military is doing its job, nothing happens, right? It's kind of like the police, right? If if nothing happens and the police are doing nothing, essentially that is a good thing, right? They're doing their job, even though they're not actually yeah. acting. Yeah. So for internal and an external defense, I feel like that is where the proportional tax is going to right now. Yes, but we run into a... If we're going to go down this path, we, we lose the pricing capacity of the market. So now we have to decide how do we know how much money to put into the military. I mean, we can't actually, we won't actually be able to answer that question. I think, I mean, for internal defense, so just like police force, that kind of thing, we can maybe use internal metrics. So we say, say we, we do a 5% proportional tax, right? And that gives us a certain amount of money. We put two and a half percent to internal defense, two and a half percent to external defense, and then so we I don't. Can use... I don't actually think this applies to the police force because that can be handled with private security. I think it's the same issue though, right? Like it's just on a more micro level, right? It's like I'm talking about with the mafia. So like I will, as your neighbor, I I benefit from you contributing to um the police force, right? And if I if I don't contribute, I still get protected. Well, it depends. So how the police works is that if I'm in trouble, I call them, right? They're never really there unless they just happen to be there. They're not going to be there proactively. But you don't know, right? So if it was a private security service, um, they would be competing for everything. They'd be competing for response times and they'd be competing for a level of sort of proactive policing and patrolling and things like that. So it, the the problem I see is that you would have the case... Actually, I've seen this happen in Taiwan. You know, in Taiwan, the police are not supposed to deal with crimes if it's not in their area. So I remember seeing one time uh, a police car drive past an incident because that police car just happened to be outside of its area that it's supposed to be taken care of. So they just left that crime to happen. I can't remember exactly what was going on, but it was something they definitely should have stopped for. So... That's the kind of bad thing that I think will happen. But it won't be unfair in the sense that I think if you paid for a pri your private security force, you probably will get a good level of protection. That's the end of part one. Join us next week for part two. That's all we have for this episode. Please follow me on Twitter at Yishontio. That's Y-I-E-S-E-A-N-T-E-O-H. If you would like to support the show in any way, for those outside of China, you can donate money at paypal.me forward slash Y-I-E-S-E-A-N-T-E-O-H or subscribe to me on Patreon. All the details are in the show notes below. For those inside of China, you can donate by scanning my Weixin or Zhifubao QR codes below. Thank you so much for listening and we hope to see you all next episode. And we also have a new Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Chuan Chuan Podcast. So please like and follow me there.